with me to two places today, Psalm 90 and Job 36, Psalm 90 and Job 36. Even though Job comes before Psalm, we're going to take them in that order, Psalm 90 and Job 36. And welcome to week seven of a series that has us walking through the attributes of God. We are calling this series Behold, where we are looking at, intently focusing upon um, God and all that He he is, and as we've said um, from the beginning, these attributes are not things that we have um, discovered about God, and therefore we're able to talk about them. No, these are things that God has revealed about Himself to us. Or as we've said um, from our first time, it takes God to know God. So if we're going to know God, God must reveal Himself to us. And this morning we come to the, and, and go ahead and hear this clearly, the eternality or the eternal nature of God. And what this means is that God exists endlessly with no beginning and no end without any interruption whatsoever. Whether it be from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there is a record of humanity's relationship with the eternal, everlasting God. Kings and prophets, tax collectors and persecutors, a young shepherd boy and an old exiled man, each life and so many others were impacted by the eternal one and they were impacted for all of eternity. And here's the beautiful thing this morning. When God impacts a human life, he will impact that life forever. And so understand that. So, and what that means is this. If God, if you say God touched your life and it only lasted 10 minutes, it might not be God. It might be um, an emotional response that you have to something for when God grips and grabs a hold of someone, it will be forever. And think of it like this. God has always been who he is currently and who he will forever be, which is God, the eternal one and only. And I know that we can't fully um, comprehend that. And even thinking about eternity makes our brains hurt um, just a little. Yet, um, a God who is small enough um, to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. So if you can understand everything there is to know about God, then you will not worship him. If we have a, a God that we can grasp, a God that ceases um, or ceases to be in a mysterious sense, um, he ceases to be God. By definition, God must be incomprehensible. If we could unravel the mysteries of God, we would be able to elevate ourselves to um, be level with him, which would mean that we're God, um, which, let me just say, we cannot and we will never be. God is infinite. He is infinite as it relates to space, everywhere present. He is infinite as it relates to time. Think about this. God exists in every time zone equally. God is in the past, present, and future simultaneously. Um, wrap your mind around that one. It means also that God's attributes are eternal. God's grace will never end. His love will never end. His mercy will never cease. His, his truth will never expire. His holiness is as eternal as He is. Now, some pastors will teach this, and I believe this, that, of course, God's grace will eventually run out. And that is true in one standpoint, that towards unbelievers, the grace and mercy that God is now extending will one day be cut off. But for believers, God's grace will extend forever. For if God's grace ever stops towards us, then we are in trouble. So God's grace goes on. He is the eternal one. And the words of A.W. Tozer 
From vanishing point to vanishing point would be another way to say it. The mind looks backwards in time till the dim past vanishes and then turns and looks into the future till the thought and imagination collapses from exhaustion and God is at both points unaffected by either. So we look at the past and there comes a time where our mind stops. We look at the future, our mind stops. God stands at both places unaffected by what we can't grasp. And again, we really would not want a God that we could comprehend. Yet, learning about His eternal nature, learning about this this morning, will help fuel our worship of Him. It will help expand our understanding of Him. It will help us love Him more. And just think about this. How does the fact that God is eternal, how does that affect our lives at all? You might be thinking, well, that doesn't affect my life at all. Why would we spend a couple weeks before Christmas talking about the eternal nature of God? And let me just tell you why. Every single person in this room, we have something in common. We are human, meaning we are inadequate. We don't know tomorrow. We have no idea what's going to happen 30 minutes from now. And so many things come as surprises to us. We have no idea what's coming tomorrow. We have no idea what's coming next Weak. We never know exactly what lies around the corner. But here's the beautiful thing. God does. God does. Or put it in another way, as we used to say it, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. We know who holds it. And as believers in Christ, we know it is Him. And nothing surprises Him. Therefore, if nothing ever catches Him off guard, we're pretty secure in Him. That's how it makes sense to us. So like everything else, the attribute of, of God, the um, eternal nature of God, again, is unfathomable. Yet, God really wants us to think about it. He wants us to consider it. He wants us to ponder it. How do we know that? Because he's made it clear in his word. And he even wants us to rejoice in it. So we want to do that this morning by jumping into his word, which is also eternal will not come to an, an end. And we want to, to grab a hold of this word and let this word propel us to come to know God in a greater, more glorious way. If you're able, I'm going to ask you again to stand with me. We're going to begin at Psalm 90 and read just verse 2 together and then jump back to Job 26, or excuse me, 36 and read verse 26 together. So Psalm 90 and verse 2, it says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We could just pause there and say, explain that one. Wrap your mind around that one. And then Job 36, beginning at, or, and just reading verse 26, it says this. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. And Lord, our desire this morning is we want to know you. We want to know you, O oh God. We want to gaze upon you. We want to be left in awe of you. And when we think about your eternal nature, the fact that you have always been and will always be, God, we are left in awe Lord, human words cannot fully describe that. And yet, that's a really good thing for us. 
for it reminds us that we are not God and that you are. Lord, help us today, Father, just to be left in awe of you, the eternal one. And Lord, help us also to leave here considering the eternal. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So again, the eternity of God refers to God's existence backwards through time to a place that we can't even imagine we call eternity past. It also takes us forward into the future to um, further than we can imagine again, a place we call eternity future. God never had a beginning. God will never have an end. There never was a time when God was not. There will never be a time where God ceases to be. And in case you're sitting here this morning thinking right now, well, aren't we eternal? Um, let me just answer it this way. There is a difference between being immortal and being eternal. Man is immortal, meaning that we have a beginning. Every single one of us have a beginning. Um, we have a day that we came into this world. Although, at the same time, we also have souls that will never die. Souls that will live on forever. But God is eternal, meaning he has neither beginning nor ending. He will never come to an end, and we cannot trace back to his beginning. Several writers have suggested a kind of a helpful idea to help us understand the difference between eternity and time. They say this, imagine a, a huge skyscraper, and imagine taking enough white paper um, to engulf the whole side of one whole skyscraper all the way up, just nothing but white. And then imagine someone going halfway up, taking a pencil and drawing a small line um, there somewhere. They said what that would represent is that small line would represent our time. Everything else would represent eternity. And think about this. little small time and somewhere in that line um, drawn is a little dot where you are and where I, where I am. And yet everything else outside of that represents eternity and represents God. And of course it breaks down. I don't want to go into that because eternity has no edges like you would um, imagine. But just a little small glimpse of eternity versus what we know and what we can imagine. Think about this. When we think about this picture, it's a reminder of who and what we're dealing with. Before there was a clock, before there was a calendar, before there was a, a, a watch or a date book, there was God. Before there was history, he existed. Before creation, he was and forever will be the eternal I am. So what I want to do this morning is spend the remaining few moments that we have looking at four truths pertaining to the eternal God. And some of these might seem like they run together, but I, I pray that we would come to see God in a greater way and it would lead us to understand the eternal life that only the eternal one can give to us. So the first truth is this. Our God is the everlasting one. He is the everlasting one. Um, Genesis 21, Abraham called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. In Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God or the everlasting God is your dwelling place. And then Isaiah 40, 28, as we read this morning, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. If I were to ask you this morning the most powerful four-word phrase in the Bible, um, I'm pretty sure you would come up with some um, pretty good answers. Maybe you would say, I am the way. 
It's a powerful phrase. Maybe you would say, especially if you're a parent, thou shalt not kill. Sometimes that can be a very powerful um, reminder for us. You were supposed to laugh at that, but apparently you guys aren't honest parents. Um, so I'll just, I'll just sit on that one. Or maybe you would say Jesus' um, words, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Or maybe right now you're looking at the screen trying to figure out where I'm going. So you're going to say um, the eternal God is. So that's my four um, phrase. And, and maybe you're just working hard and I'm, I'm glad there. But there's so many four word phrases that have significance in the word of God. But I believe that the first four words of the Bible are the most important because they lay the foundation for everything else that the Bible is about, which is God. Think about the first four words. In the beginning. Okay, let's do it again. In the beginning. God. It puts God at the center of everything. And it reminds us that Genesis 1, just think about this. Genesis 1 does not give us the ultimate beginning of, of God. It gives us the ultimate beginning of the universe. It gives us the ultimate beginning of us, but not of God. Genesis 1 doesn't start at the absolute beginning, only our beginning. And the reason is because there's no absolute beginning with God. Before the world was formed, God was. Before the sun, the moon, the stars lit up the sky, God was. Before the first flower ever bloomed, God was. Before the first fruit tree, or fruit ever grew on a tree, God was. Before the first wing of an eagle ever flapped, before the first gill of a fish ever opened, God was. Before the first golden sunset, before the first drop of water, before the first gust of wind, God was. Before Adam experienced breath in his lungs, before he experienced the grass beneath his feet, before he experienced light entering into his eyes, before he experienced taste on his tongue, before he experienced sound in his ears, and before he experienced um, the amazing feeling of laying his eyes upon his wife Eve, God was. Before they ever walked, talked, or laughed, God was. Before the first anything and before everything, God was. And get this, because God was, everything is. Because God was, everything is. So follow with me here. Think, think with me to a time before there was any earth or any solar system, any universe whatsoever, to where there was only God. You know what the amazing thing? We can't even do that. Because right now you're thinking about darkness. And that came when God started speaking. So therefore, that's something that God himself created. So there, we can't even think of a time. And, and then think about this. Even if you could, just... God, and all of light that he is. Now think of a time before there was God. Hopefully right now you're going, this has got to be a trick question. Because it is. Because we cannot ever think of a time before him. When we ask God how he got to be who he is, God answers from everlasting to everlasting, I am God. That is him. That is who he is. He is the everlasting one. But then the second truth is this. Our God is the self-existent one. And in case you came here this morning to feel really good about yourself, this is going to kind of make us feel not so good about ourselves. So from the very beginning of the Bible, we have a picture of a God who has always existed. 
Children sometimes, or maybe even grown children sometimes, ask the question, well, who made God or how old is God? And the clearest biblical answer that we can give is that God never needed to be made because he has always been. Now, of course, that just leads to more questions, and we have to accept that based on faith. But God exists in a different way than we do. Think about us. So we, his creatures, exist in a dependent, derived, finite, fragile way. But our maker exists in an eternal, self-sustaining, necessary way. In one sense, it is impossible for God to ever go out of existence. It would just be impossible for him to do so. And think about Exodus 3. So God comes to Moses. God says, go to Egypt, deliver my people out. And Moses said, well, God, what if I come to Israel? And they say, who are you talking to? What is his name? What shall I tell them? And in Exodus 3, 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, which is Yahweh. It means the self-existent God. Because God is eternal, he is self-existent. God is the only being there is who does not owe his existence to someone or something else. Or to put it in a way that maybe we can understand it, here's what it means. Um, God does not depend on us for his existence. We depend on God for our existence. If you decided today, I don't believe in you, God, guess what? God would still, he would still be who he is. If God decided today he didn't believe in you, you would be in trouble. Understand the difference. If you said today, God, you have no more breath, you are done, God would say, ha, ha. If God looked at us and said, you have no more breath, you are done, we would die. This is the picture. God does not depend on us for his existence. We are totally dependent upon him for our existence. So understand that. It's not just that, that we exist and that God has always existed. The difference between our being and God's being is more than the difference between the sun and just a um, single candle. It's more than the difference between the ocean and just a raindrop. It's more than the difference between the universe and this small room that we are sitting in today. God is completely independent. He is uncreated, unoriginated, without beginning, owing his existence to no one. When we think about anything that has a beginning, we're not thinking about God. Aside from God, nothing else is self-caused or self-existent and here's the problem today brothers and sisters in the church we have painted a picture of God who is weak and who is nervous and who so bad wants the acceptance of us we painted this picture accept God accept God accept God and guess what brothers and sisters God doesn't need our acceptance he is God God isn't up there going Man, if only, if only Steve Marinko would just accept me, then maybe, just maybe, I would be God. Maybe, just maybe, I'd be complete if only he would accept me. No, that is the weak picture of God that we have painted. And here's the reality. Um, God is God whether we accept him or not. He is Lord whether we say it or not. The, the 
picture is, the point that we have to understand, we have so lessened this and we have so um, come to the realization somehow, some way, that we believe that we're necessary to God. But the truth is that God is not greater for our being, nor would he be any less if we did not exist. The fact that we do exist is all dependent on the fact that God allows us to exist. Everything that exists exists because God made it and because God sustains it. Think about Acts 17. In Acts 17, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. Get this, hear this, as though he needed anything. This might come to a great shock to you this morning, but let me just say this. God doesn't need me. And that's a great shock to you because you're thinking, Micah, God doesn't need Micah. Let me just, even more shocking, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our fellowship. He doesn't need our witness. He doesn't need our obedience. He doesn't need us. But here's the beautiful thing. He loves us. Therefore, he wants us. But he doesn't. Don't ever, don't ever kid yourself as if God needs you. God needs nothing of us. God needs nothing of us. God didn't create us because he needed us. God wasn't up in heaven going, I'm so lonely. You know what would make me feel better? Them. No. God was completely, totally fulfilled in the Trinity. The reason that God made us is because of somehow in his infinite wisdom, he decided that creating us would be the best way for him to demonstrate his glory and his grace. So here's the practical truth for us. If God possesses everything needful, and if he has offered to come into our lives and share himself with us, then obviously we will find everything we need in him. He is the self-existent one. And then third, our God is the timeless one. So this is going to um, expand your minds just a little bit and maybe make your minds hurt a little bit. So God is the timeless one. So although God is the everlasting one, um, which means he's existed throughout all time, we can also say that God is the timeless one, meaning that God exists outside of time. He's unconstrained by the process of cause and effect. Put it this way. In, in Psalm 90, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. We can't understand that fully. Or Isaiah 57, verse um, 15. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. So just think about your life and think about, I know some of you have to go back a little ways and, and really have to think hard, especially I'm about to mention school, so you really have to work hard with me. But think about sitting in a history class learning what we call history. And what we know that events and to us happen on a linear plane, one after another. We call it um, historical events, a series of events that happen over time. There are so many events that we can't keep track of them all. The days turn into months, months turn into years, years turn into decades, decades turn into centuries, so on and so forth. It's often said that time is the only thing that's, that keeps everything from happening at once. But for God, 
and, and get this, but for God, there is no past, no present, no future. God sees and experiences all events as if he sees them at the same time. For he is in eternity. From our perspective, everything happens in a series of successions. This happens, this causes this to happen, this causes this to happen, and this causes this to happen. God dwells in eternity. He exists in the past, in the present, and the future all at the same time. Explain that to me and you will be a hero, but we cannot deny it. And in fact, you might say, well, what about time? Well, time is part of the all things that God himself made. God made time. In Isaiah 46, our eternal God says, I am God, there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. So imagine yourself watching the, the rose parade, standing on the street corner in Pasadena. And maybe you're thinking right now, why would I want to be there? But just imagine you're there, and imagine you're watching the rose parade. And your view is what you see, is you see one float at a time, you see the band that's coming, the parade for your vantage point is one succession of time after another, after another. When it's finished, you can look back and you can say, I experienced all of the parade from beginning to the end. But now imagine yourself up in the Goodyear blimp, viewing the parade from start to finish. You are not just aware of a sequence. You see the beginning and you see the end and you see everything in between. And that is the way God sees us. In fact, all of human history from the beginning to the end, God sees it. He knows it. He knows every detail in between. And this is good news for us to rest in. God knows our tomorrows. He knows there is no surprises with him. Have you ever, and I know you have, have you ever, the phone rang, you answered the phone only to hear, to hear terrible news. News that you could never prepare yourself for. That caught you completely off guard. And in those moments, we take comfort in knowing that God was not caught off guard. Let me go another step. Have you ever done something where you said, I cannot believe I just did that. That was so stupid. Or, that was so sinful, I can't even believe I did that. I know no, none of you are going to confess, so I'll just go ahead and confess for you. You've done it. So, um, all of you are like, not, not me, I'm not making eye contact with them, but you have. But here's the beautiful thing. God is not even caught off guard by our sinfulness. He is not. He's not caught off guard. God's not, not up in heaven going, didn't see that coming. Can't believe he did that. No, God knows us, and yet he still pours his love upon us, and he has still promised to work even that together for our good and for his glory. He is the timeless one. And then lastly, the last truth I want us to see together is our God is the saving one. He's the saving one. And maybe you're thinking um, halfway through, what does this have to do with Christmas? I'm glad you asked. This salvation comes into clear focus during this Christmas season. Think about Matthew 1. In Matthew 1, the angel told Joseph, Do not fear to take Mary as your 
Why? For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the glory of Christmas is not that Christ began on Christmas morning. No, the Father is eternal, the Spirit is eternal, and Jesus is eternal. The only thing that knew that happened on Christmas Day is that the Eternal One took on flesh. And something that we can't even, again, wrap our heads around. But long before that first Christmas, the plan was set in place to save us, sinful and wicked humanity, from our sin. And then here's the beauty. In Galatians 4, and verse 4, it says this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. The timeless one entered time. When the fullness of time had come, the timeless one entered our time. And through Christ, the eternal one offers us eternal life. And let me just say this. Only one who is eternal can give eternal life. We can't give eternal life. Only the eternal one can give eternal life. So think about when Jesus comes on the scene and in John 3, 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. Or think about what John writes in 1 John 5, 11. This is a testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is through or in his son. The child that was born in Bethlehem was the son who existed from all of eternity. And let me just once again preach to us for just a second. How foolish we are in that we fight and we scrape and we call and we fret and we cry and we manipulate in a thousand different ways trying to trust other people to meet our needs when we have a God who is eternally everything that we could ever want or need. And yet we fight and claw to make those other things do what only God can do. Our only hope of being complete is to be complete in Him. And the eternal life that He possesses and He gives is more than just an endless extension of life. So understand this, brothers and sisters, eternal life doesn't mean endless life. Because we're immortal, all of us, every single one of us are going to live on forever and ever and ever. The unfortunate reality is many will live on forever without eternal life. Unfortunately, they will live on forever in eternal death. Separated forever from God. So the point is, we can't just get to a place where we say, well, yeah, I, I have eternal life. No, you, you will live forever. The question becomes, where will you live forever? Why does eternity exist? I think, first of all, eternity exists because God's eternal. But secondly, it exists because it will take that long for us to know anything of the inexhaustible attributes of an eternal God. 250 years ago plus, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon on what eternal life would be. And would we ever get to the bottom of this God? And here's what he said. 
the fountain that supplies the joy and delight which the soul has in seeing God is infinite. The understanding may extend itself as far as it will. It doth but take its flight into an endless expanse and dive into a bottomless ocean. It may discover more and more of the beauty and loveliness of God. And if I've lost you, just end, end well with me here. But it never exhausts the fountain of God. For all of eternity, brothers and sisters, we will come to know God more and more and more and more and more and more and more, but the fountain of God will never be exhausted. He has enough to satisfy us forever and ever and ever. Yet the question for us becomes, how do we enter into this eternal life? And the answer is through responding to the work of God. Through his past work and sending Jesus to do what we could never do. To live a perfect life, to die for our sins, to conquer the grave. The present work that God is doing and sending his Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. And his future work where God will take all things and make them for us new. And then here's the beauty. Sometimes I, I look at this whole picture of God and his sovereignty, as we saw a few um, weeks ago. And then we understand this picture, that in the midst of God's sovereignty, God sovereignly gives us choices. And the choices that God gives us has eternal consequences. Just think with me real quick about, about Calvary. It's kind of weird to go from Christmas to Calvary, but Jesus came to die. So think about that hill and think about those three crosses. And have you ever wondered why there were only two crosses next to, next to Jesus and not six or not ten? Have you ever wondered why Jesus was in the middle? I think in one way that shows us that Jesus is the center of everything. But I think the fact that there were only two beside him that we read about shows us this. When all is said and done, there are only two choices that we make concerning him. Either we accept him or we reject him. And when I say accept him, I don't mean... Um, God, I choose you, um, so therefore I've made you more. No, we understand what he's done for us, and we, um, by faith, grab a hold of that. The gift of choice, the gift of decision. There are only two options. Think about this. Two criminals were convicted of the same crimes. They were con condemned to death. Equally, they were as close to Jesus as they could be, yet one was changed and one was not. One's heart melted in the presence of Jesus and one's heart grew more hard. And we might think that is weird, but let me tell you something. That happens every time the word of God is spoken. Every time the word of God is spoken, there are hearts that hear it and they break. And there are hearts that hear it and say no, and their hearts harden more and more and more. You know what? When the Bible says that God's word will not return void, what that doesn't mean is that everyone who hears it will be saved. That doesn't mean that. What that means is that God's word will do what God's word does. It will either soften your heart or it will harden it. It will either break your heart unto salvation or it will harden your heart unto destruction. That is what God's word does. But think about these thieves. Upon breathing their last, one entered into eternal life and one entered into eternal torment. And let me bring it back to us in closing. All of us 
and maybe just even one time, have made bad decisions in our life. Some of us have made a few more than that. Some of us, um, you're setting the record uh, and, and, and going, going strong for it. But what we know is that we have sinned and repeatedly rebelled against a holy God. We often look back on our lives and say, if only I would have done this differently. If only I would have done that differently. Yet when we think about the life that you are now living, let me just say this. You and I, we only get one life. We only get one. You don't get a hundred lives. You don't get a bunch of different opportunities. You get one life. And the decisions that you make in this life will reverberate forever. How you respond to the eternal one now will matter forever. For any who might be having a hard time with this this morning, let me just end with showing you a verse where Jesus defines eternal life for us. In John 17, 3, it's on the screen, Jesus says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life that the eternal God gives is a personal, intimate life with God. Sometimes we view salvation like we do in inoculation. We go get our flu shot, and they give us a strand of the virus. And um, how do we know that it, it works? Well, we don't get the flu. And some of us view Christianity that way. We come in, and we get preached the gospel, so we pray this prayer. It never has any impact on my life whatsoever, but how, do I, how will I know if it works? Well, I guess I just won't go to hell. Brothers and sisters, that's not the gospel, and that is not eternal life. Eternal life is not just hoping one day I won't go to hell. Eternal life is being able to know, consciously know God now. We know the eternal one now. We enter into a relationship with him now. Brothers and sisters, it's not just a future hope that we have. We know him now. And we will know him forever. Have you responded to the eternal life that has been offered to you through Jesus Christ? How will you respond to the eternal one? Are you living for eternity? I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand this morning. and We're going to, to pray and enter into a time of invitation and consecration. But I pray today, if you feel a little lost right now, that's probably a really good thing. Because we're not dealing with a God that we've created. We're dealing with a, a God that's created us. So every time that we feel a little lost and a little in awe of who he is, that's a really, really good thing for us. But ultimately, we have an eternal God who has made us that we will last and live forever. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has put eternity in our hearts. Have you ever gone to a funeral for someone who's 90 years old, but yet it still doesn't seem fair? It's because God has put eternity in our hearts where we know that we're made to live forever. So even if we see that person who has lived a long life, it still doesn't seem fair. Because God has made us to live on and live on and live on. But just because God has made us that way doesn't mean that we'll live on in eternal life. We must come to God on his terms. Let's pray together. Father, the reality today of all the messages that we could hear, there is none more pertinent than the fact of, Lord, there 
is life beyond death. Where we, our souls, will keep living. But God, it doesn't mean that we will live on together and forever with you if we reject you now. God, the reality is we must come to you on your terms. And Jesus, you said the terms of God was we must come through you. For there is no other way, you said, apart from you. And what that means for us, God, is that we're not experts on salvation, but God, you are. For you are the saving one. Therefore, we trust what your word declares. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room today who doesn't know you. That today would be the day of salvation. Today they would realize, God, that they have sinned against you, a holy God. And in sinning against you, they are deserving, God, of eternal wrath. But God, by your grace, you sent your Son. The timeless one entered into our time. He lived a perfect life. He died a gruesome death. He rose from the dead so that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh God, I pray for any who don't know you that today would be the day of salvation. God, I also pray for brothers and sisters across this room who do know you, but God, who aren't living for eternity, who are just living for right now, who are living for the here and now with no thought of the things that are to come. God, help us, Lord, to live our lives knowing you now and longing for you then. God, longing for that which is to come. Father, I I know there are so many different ways that this message will hit so many different people. And God, you are so great and that you're able to, to do a work and so many individual lives with with one message and work it in so many different ways. So do that, God, we pray. Finish this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.